We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We gather like this every weekend. So glad you're with us. And uh, so is uh, Jeff Sennis. He's our engineer. Andrew Hurdliska produces the show. And in this first segment, Dr. Robert Jeffress, senior pastor of the 16,000-member First Baptist Church of Dallas, his radio program, which many of you hear, Pathway to Victory, and his new book is out. It's called The Ten. Uh, Robert, welcome to Orlando. You're well known here, my friend. It's <laughs> good to visit with you. Well, Pat, it's great to be with you and uh, talk to the uh, group in one of our favorite cities in America. We love coming to Orlando. Uh, tell me about this new book of yours. Well, the book is called The Ten, and the subtitle really explains what it's about how to live and love in a world that's lost its way. This is a book about the Ten Commandments, and it's a fresh look at these 3,500-year-old commandments. And, you know, I think most people, Pat, could identify with the subtitle. Nobody would disagree. We are living in a world that seems to have lost its way. And the simple reason is we have forgotten God. We have tried to go our own way, and the result has been chaos. You know, when I was writing this book, I thought 1863, when our country was being torn apart by the Civil War, and Abraham Lincoln issued the first proclamation calling for prayer and repentance. And in that proclamation, he said, why is our nation being torn apart? And he answered his own question. He said, because we have forgotten God. And, Pat, I believe that's the diagnosis of our problem in America today. We have forgotten God. And so I wrote this book to go back and look at these 3,500-year-old Ten Commandments and demonstrate how they apply to us today and why they really are the best way to live. Robert? Yes. The first commandment, esteem God alone. Tell us more. Well, God is to have first place in our life. He's to be the core uh, around all of our life, that all of our life revolves. And uh, 
when people think, well, who else, whom else would I worship except God? There are a lot of idols that we can worship. It's not just a little statue that you bow down to. Anything that you love more than you love God is an idol. And the reason God gives us command is he knows all other gods are inferior, that only he can meet our deepest needs. And so in that chapter, <laughs> we thought about, talk about uh, that commandment, which is the basis really for every other commandment. The second commandment, worship God only. Yeah, that's closely related. Uh, It's a command to remind us that we need to be sure the God we're worshiping is a genuine God. You know, Pat, so many people uh, think that God is just the sum of our speculation about him. I remember my friend David Jeremiah tells a story about one time he was preaching on how Christ is the only way to salvation. And a lady came up to him irate, and she said, Dr. Jeremiah, I just want you to know that the God I serve would never send somebody to hell for not trusting in Christ. And David said, you're right, the God you serve wouldn't do that, because the God you serve is the God of your imagination, not the God of the Bible. And I think a lot of us make the mistake of thinking God is whatever we think he is. We need to be sure that we're worshiping the God of the Bible. A third commandment, revere God's name. Yeah, you know, we, many people know that command, do not take the Lord's name in vain. We think that just relates to cursing, using the GD phrase. It certainly includes that, but it doesn't include only that, and it includes much more. Uh, Dr. Eugene Merrill, an Old Testament scholar who's a member of our church, translates it, don't use the name of God needlessly. You remember the Hebrews believed that the name of God was so sacred that they didn't even dare utter it. They wouldn't say the word Yahweh. We need to be sure we treat God's name with reverence. That means we shouldn't use God's name to manipulate people, to tell somebody, if I'm a pastor, God told me you're to give money to build this building. I better be sure God really told me that before I invoke his name to manipulate people. Even to use God's name in a jest. I, I, I did this for years and didn't even think anything about it, telling the story maybe in a sermon about two guys dying. They go to heaven, and they're standing before God, and God says, blah, 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 blah. We're not to do that. We're to revere God's name and use it sparingly. Robert Jeffries is with us, the book, The Ten. The Fourth Commandment, Value God's Day. This is the command. We know it is, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Uh, A lot of people have a funny idea about the Sabbath. They think the Sabbath is about uh, keeping a list of regulations, of do's and don'ts, what you can and can't do on the Lord's Day. And uh, I remember growing up as a Southern Baptist, to us, the worst offense, the greatest sign of debauchery would be to go to the movie theater on a Sunday afternoon. You just didn't do that. I mean, you could watch television. That was okay. But going to the movies, no. And I remember my grandparents would come and visit us visit us sometimes on Sunday afternoons, and they were Methodist, and they would go to the movie theater after visiting with us on Sunday afternoons, and I never more wanted to be a Methodist than whatever my (laughs) grandparents went to the movie theater. Well, Jesus blew that whole idea up. He said, remember, man was not made for the Sabbath, 
the Sabbath was made for man. God gave us the Sabbath for our benefit. He said there's one day a week that we need to cease from and resist any kind of work and refresh ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually by focusing on God. The Sabbath is really a gift God gives to us. The fifth commandment, Robert, honor your parents. That's right. And, you know, when Paul repeats this, he says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth. Uh, Remember, God was giving this commandment to a new people that were about to enter into the promised land and form a nation. And he said one of the most basic commands is to teach children to obey authority. If your society is going to be free of chaos, people have to respect authority. And people first learn that in the home as children, learning to obey their parents. But it goes beyond that. Even as young adults, we may move out of our parents' house, but we ought to still honor our parents by seeking their advice and counsel on key decisions. Not that we always follow it, but we ought to at least seek it. But Pat, there's even a way to honor our parents after they're dead in how we speak about them to others and the things we choose to remember about them. No parent is perfect. All of us make mistakes. But if we want our children to remember us and speak of us well after we're gone, we need to model that by doing that with our parents as well. Robert, tell us about the sixth commandment, preserve life. What a important command, especially from today, thou shalt not murder. Uh, Some translations say thou shalt not kill, but that's not a really accurate translation because, frankly, there is some killing that is sanctioned in the Bible. For example, capital punishment. Uh, God said to Noah, whoever sheds, man's, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Romans 13 in the New Testament talks about government having the power of the sword. God says human life is so sacred that if anyone takes it, he ought to have his life taken. Uh, there is... Uh, Uh, killing allowed in a justifiable war, the Old Testament says. Uh, God gives uh, the right uh, to kill in war if it's a just war. And right now, as we're watching Israel uh, waging war against its enemies that slaughtered so many innocent people, we need to remember God sanctions that kind of killing if it's in a just war. And even the right to protect our houses and our families against intruders allows for killing. So it's not that all killing is forbidden, but what he's talking about is what we call murder. That is taking the life and anger of somebody else. Uh, human life is created by God. Only God has the right to take that life. Robert, on this subject, <clears throat> talk to us about your thoughts and your, your feelings on abortion. Well, that is a kind of murder. Uh, We talk about the least of these in society, society's most defenseless people. The unborn are the most defenseless in our society. And the Bible says human life is sacred both inside the womb and outside the womb. And uh, I rejoice that Roe v. Wade has been turned back to the states, but it's important that states understand uh, the sanctity of life and that we do everything we can to protect life. The seventh commandment, keep marriage holy. That's right. 
You know, in the Hebrew, it just has two words, no adultery. And again, we've got the wrong idea about God and the Ten Commandments. We think uh, God is a cosmic killjoy who gives these commandments to rob us of any true pleasure in life. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is the one who created sex. He created marriage. And Pat, you've written about this so well and eloquently for years. God is the one who created the idea of sex. He knows how it best operates. And he says, if you want to enjoy sex to the fullest, follow my guidelines. It needs to be between a man and a woman in the sanctity of a marriage relationship. And anything else, any other arrangement is going to be less than best. It's wrong. It's sin. But it's sin because it's a detour from my plan. And so that's what that command is about. And remember, adultery doesn't begin in the bed. It begins in the head. It always starts with a thought. And so we talk about all the implications of that command, no adultery. My guest is Dr. Robert Jeffries. We need to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue uh, having Robert talk to us about his new book, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. Experience God's blessings by rediscovering the Ten Commandments. And Robert will uh, talk to us about the Eighth Commandment, Respect the Property of Others. Uh, I'm Pat Williams. It's a Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Dr. Robert Jeffries is our guest. He's in Dallas, senior pastor of... First Baptist Church, Dallas. We're talking about his new book, The Ten. And Robert, as I mentioned, the Eighth Commandment, respect the property of others. Right. It's a prohibition against stealing. And, you know, some people think, well, as long as I'm not, you know, crashing through the plate glass window of a department store and grabbing expensive uh, luxury items, I'm okay. (laughs) I don't steal. Well, there's more than one way to steal, And uh, when, for example, as an employee, we don't give our employer a full eight hours every day, Uh, come in late or leave early, that's in a way stealing from an employer. When employers don't pay their employees a fair wage, that's stealing. And I might, might say, Pat, this whole idea of stealing is built upon the foundational idea that we have the right and responsibility to acquire property. You know, a lot of people talk about Christian Marxism. That's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as Christian Marxism. God said, everything belongs to me, but you are going to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to earn. You're going to receive money, and that is yours to manage as a steward of what I've given you. And so there's nothing in the Bible uh, that's wrong about acquiring property as long as we remember that ultimately it's a gift from God. But we do have a right to personal property, to homes, to retirement accounts, and so forth. That's not an anti-Christian concept. It's a very Christian concept. The Ninth Commandment, protect the reputation of others. 
You know, the commandment, we know it as, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, in that chapter in my book, The Ten, I talk about God's general attitude about lying. When we lie, we are like Satan. Jesus said Satan is a liar. He is the father of all lies. And he lied from the beginning. And uh, whenever we exaggerate the truth, whenever we withhold truth and know uh, another story and don't tell it, uh, we are engaged in a deception. We're not supposed to deceive. But then God zeroes in on one particular kind of lie, and that is saying false things about another person, robbing people of their reputation. Uh, and that is so easy to do today when we forward a email or an article and we say, now, I don't know if this is true or not, but think you ought to read this about so-and-so. That's slander. Uh, we are not to steal somebody's reputation through a careless act like a gossip and slander. The Tenth Commandment, control yourself and be content. You know, that's the command, thou shalt not covet. Now, I have to be honest with you, Pat. When I read these over and over again before I wrote this book, I was kind of disappointed that God chose to put that one at the end. If I were God and giving these commandments, I would have gone out with a bang. You know, something really big at the end. No murder, no adultery, no lying. Coveting, wanting what somebody else has, that seems kind of like a minor offense, doesn't it? But really, when you think about it, most every other sin is the result of coveting, desiring something that somebody else has. Somebody else has. <clears throat> that was true of Lucifer. The very first sin committed in the universe was when Lucifer, the chief of all the angels, decided one day he wasn't content with his position. And he said, according to Isaiah 14, that he would ascend the holy mountain and be like God. In fact, he wanted to be God. And that sin caused him to be cast down from heaven. And really, every other sin, starting in the Garden of Eden, all stemmed from covetousness, wanting something that somebody else had. And that's why we need to learn the antidote to covetousness, which is contentment, being at peace with the unchangeable circumstances, choices, and even mistakes of our lives. Robert, your conclusion has this subtitle, Modern Day Blessings. Can you explain that? Well, I think uh, it's just so important to understand that we can enjoy God's blessings when we keep these commandments. And if there's one thought I'd like to leave with your listeners today, Pat, it would be this. God's Ten Commandments, all of God's commandments, were not meant to repress us, but to bless us. And uh, we need to look at these commands. God gave these commands not for his benefit. He doesn't get anything out of them. He gave it for our benefit. And I always use this illustration. When our girls were little, we took them to Colorado Springs to drive up Pikes Peak Mountain. And we got up to the top of the mountain. And our oldest daughter was five at the time, Julia, and she immediately started running toward the edge of the mountain where there was no protection. And I yelled out instinctively, stop. And thankfully, she froze in her steps. But why did I yell stop? Was I trying to rob her of some great experience in life? No, I was trying to keep her from going over the edge. And it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. He says 
no adultery, no murder, no stealing, no covetousness, no idol worship. Not because he's trying to rob us of some great experience, but because he loves us. And so I hope people, Pat, will pick up a copy of the book, The Ten. Uh, It's a book that will encourage you. And we've also produced a study guide that goes along with it. And it's a great study for your small group Bible study or Sunday school class. And it's available at Amazon.com or any e-tailer or retailer. Robert, I must tell you that I got a good chuckle. Uh, out of something you wrote, uh, and and I'm still picturing it. You're in your pajamas, and you're eating a bowl of Hagen dazs vanilla ice cream. <laughs> and I got to yes. tell you, I had to stop and reread it, and just I just laughed out loud. There's Robert, the great Robert Jeffries, in his pajamas. <laughs> Every night at 9 o'clock, it's a scene that's repeated over and over again. So that's a modern-day blessing you were asking about. <laughs> well, folks, if you read that book, you'll come across that p- part of the book, and you'll, you'll need to stop there and, and, and just reflect on that. But not for too long. <laughs> that's right. Robert, uh, we got to talk uh, politics a little bit. What, what do you think is going through the mind of Donald Trump these days? Well, I think Donald Trump is preparing for his second term in office. Now, I want to be very clear. I know not all of our listeners uh, necessarily are thrilled by that, that idea, but I love Donald Trump. He's been a great friend. I think he's the most consequential president we've had since Ronald Reagan or maybe even since Abraham Lincoln. And as a Christian, you know, people say, well, what do you think about it? He says this, and I said, that. I said, look, I don't agree with everything President Trump says or does. He doesn't agree with everything I say or do. But I do think he's been the most pro-life, pro-religious liberty, and pro-Israel president we've had in history. And so I keep in contact with him. He's doing great. His ability to let all this stuff roll off his back is just truly amazing to me. Robert, what are we to make of this war uh, in the Gaza Strip and Israel, and what, what can you tell us? Well, I would say this. First of all, my book, The Ten, you've been nice enough to promote. Starting December the 5th, I have a new book coming out titled, Are We Living in the End Times? And it's biblical answers to seven key questions about the future. I believe, Pat, what we're seeing right now is not just a physical attack. This is a spiritual attack upon Israel. It's been going on for 4,000 years, ever since Uh, God said to Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Your nation will be protected. It will endure forever. Satan has done everything he can to show that God can't keep his promise. He's inspired human leaders like Pharaoh, Herod, Antiochus Epiphanes, Adolf Hitler, and others. He's empowered them to try to destroy the Jewish people, and they've been destroyed, these world leaders in the process. What we're seeing right now is not Hamas and their sponsor, Iran, just waging war against Israel. They are waging war against Almighty God. And, Pat, that is a battle nobody can win. That's fascinating. Robert Jeffries is our guest. Robert, um, what is it like pastoring a church of the size of First Baptist Dallas? What goes through your mind every day? Well, you know, first of all, incredible 
gratitude to God that he allowed me to come back and pastor the church I grew up in, trusted Christ in, was ordained in. Uh, there are a lot of great churches in America, but First Baptist Dallas is a special place. And so I'm just grateful for the opportunity to minister. I'm grateful that, you know, during the pandemic, we started this online program and Last week, we had over 3 million people viewing our services. God used all of that to help us develop a great ministry that continues even past the pandemic. So my heart is filled with gratitude to God. Tell me about your radio program, Pathway to Victory. Well, Pathway to Victory is now heard on four, there are 1,400 releases every day on about 1,000 radio stations around the country. And our television program, Pathway to Victory, is on hundreds of stations, including TBN, every weekday at uh, 8 a.m. and noon, and then Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern. And because of God's graciousness, we have been the number one most viewed program on TBN for 37 months in a row. And we're really just grateful to God for that. How does that make you feel? Grateful. Uh, pondering why people, so many people would tune in. It's certainly not because of me. But I do think it's because there's a true hunger for the teaching of God's Word right now. Uh, what is it like to de deliver a, a, a sermon, Robert, that just nails it? Uh, just <laughs> nails it. How do you feel after that? Well, I keep using the same words, grateful and surprised, because I know how weak I am in the flesh. I would hate to try to stand in the pulpit in my own strength. Anything I said would fall straight to the ground. People come not to hear the Word of Robert, but the Word of God. And I would just say to any pastor out there listening, and I know so many do listen to this program, just as Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word. And if you do that, God will bless you. My guest, <clears throat> Dr. Robert Jeffress, and his book, go get it, it's a good one, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. We've got more. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. This Andrew Farley is there. Lead pastor of the Grace Church, a non-denominational non church there in Dallas. His new book is out, 101 Bible Questions, and the surprising answers you may not hear in church. Andrew, nice to catch up with you. Welcome to Orlando. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Tell me about this book. Yeah, so I was 19 years old, and I was on the floor of my apartment, and I was begging God for answers. I was saying, God, I'm doing everything the Christian world said to do, but I still don't feel close to you. I don't feel like I'm growing, so where did I go wrong? And my friend, it was not a lightning bolt out of heaven. It was more like a decade of replacing old thoughts with new thoughts as God began to teach me about his grace like never before. And so now, many years later in this book, I'm just wanting to share with people what God taught me about his love and his grace and his forgiveness 
we got a lot of people that uh, have unanswered questions. They're they're maybe scared to ask. They're worried that uh, they'll be embarrassed. They think, well, maybe I should already know the answers to this. We got a lot of touchy subjects, you know, like things that people don't want to talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Uh, all of that is in this book and more. It's called 101 Bible Questions, and I really wrote it just to encourage people in God's grace and help them see how ginormous the gospel really is. Well, let me tell you what I've been doing with your book, Andrew. Uh, one a day, and uh, I started when I got the book about a week ago, and so I'm at uh, topic number eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I'll be today, so I'm going to uh, ask you to comment on it. Uh, okay. Here is uh, here's topic number eight in this book, 101 Bible Questions. Once saved, are you always saved? And what do you tell us? Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, that is a controversial question for a lot of people, but for me, there's a straightforward answer uh, straight from Scripture. And, you know, first, you look at the kind of forgiveness that a Christian has. Nobody listening to this broadcast is 50% forgiven. Uh, you're either 0% forgiven in Adam or you're 100% forgiven in Christ. And we got to remember that there's no middle ground. God doesn't partially forgive anybody. So if you're a totally forgiven person, then you're saved forever. And then you look at the life that Jesus gave you. He called it eternal for a reason. He said it was everlasting. He said it was eternal. And if we can lose our salvation, then basically Jesus was lying. And I think we have to confront that word eternal and say, yeah, Jesus did not give me temporary life. He gave me everlasting life. And lastly, I would say, it's not just your forgiveness and your eternal life. Look at the promises of God. I mean, scattered all over the New Testament, it says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Even when you are faithless, I remain faithful, and nothing separates you from the love of Jesus Christ. Andrew Farley has just made that statement. Now, uh, that means tomorrow, Andrew, I will be doing number nine. Can you fall from grace? That's your question of the day. Yeah, so a lot of people uh, look at Galatians and they say, well, Paul was chewing out the Galatians, telling them they've fallen from grace, so maybe that means... Somehow I'm going to wake up tomorrow and mess up and go too far and lose my salvation or something. But we have to be careful because what Paul was really saying in context, he was saying, you who are seeking to be justified by the law have fallen from grace. So it was only people who were trying to save themselves by their performance and save themselves by what they do by trying to act good enough and be good enough to uh, gain favor with God. Those are the people that were cutting themselves off from the gospel, falling away from grace, back toward the temple, back toward the law. Those people were never saved to begin with. They had heard the gospel, but they fell away from it and decided that self-improvement was the better way. Now, we know the truth today. If you're a Christian today, 
you know that you were saved by grace through faith. It's not what you did. It's what Jesus did. So once Jesus does this for you, my friend, you can never lose it uh, because Jesus has taken your sins away forever, and he loves you no matter what. It's amazing. We use this word agape. We say unconditional love, and then five minutes later, we're putting conditions on it. (laughs) But uh, the reality is God is going to be with you and in you forever. He does not abandon his children. Now, Andrew Farley is our guest, the book 101 Bible Questions. So sometime next week, Andrew, uh, I'll run into this question. What does it mean to backslide? Yeah, so we hear that all the time in the Christian world. In the United States, uh, we've got uh, this little zone called the Bible Belt. And uh, unfortunately, there's lots of stuff in the Bible Belt that's not actually in the Bible. And I bring that up because we start adding our own ideas to the gospel. And next thing you know, we're scared, we're quaking in our boots. Uh, Regarding backsliding, I mean, the Bible never tells a Christian that they can backslide. That, That actually implies that you were climbing up something. I mean, you know, were you climbing a fire pole to God and suddenly you slipped back down? Well, remember, that the true gospel message is that Jesus came down to us, and through the cross and through the resurrection, he did everything necessary to save us. So it was never about us climbing. And I know we stumble and we fall and we fail and we sin, but we got to remember that we never ruined the deal. The deal was never us promising God that we were going to perform perfectly. The deal was always about Jesus' performance, and he did perform perfectly. And so he lives in us forever. Backsliding is not something that can happen to a Christian wherever you go, whether it's into failure and temptation and struggle. Jesus goes with you the whole time, and he's available to you 24-7 without interruption. Andrew Farley is in Dallas. Uh, We're talking about his book. 101 Bible questions, and, and and Andrew, here's one. Is suicide the unforgivable sin? Yeah, so the Catholic Church has done a good job of maybe trying to propose that in some ways, but they their rationale is flawed in my view. What they're really saying is somebody who dies by suicide doesn't have a chance to confess their sins at the last minute. Uh, and therefore they wouldn't go to heaven, maybe they'd go to hell, maybe they'd go to purgatory, but they would need some last-minute fix-up before they go to heaven because they didn't have a chance to confess all their sins, and they died before doing so. Now, the problem with that is that now we've begun to teach people that they're forgiven only because they remember their sins and confess each one. Now, that is flawed because you and I, we have sinned millions of times in our lives, and yet we don't remember every time we've sinned. We have forgotten many times that we've failed. So thank God our forgiveness is not based on our memory and our confession. Our forgiveness is based on the blood of Jesus, and he said it is finished. So if someone is depressed and they die by suicide, God is not kicking them when they're down. 
and telling them, well, all bets are off, the deal's over because you got depressed. I think that is a sad and a sick message. It's morbid, and it doesn't show the true love of God. So no matter how someone dies, if they are in Christ, they are a forgiven person, righteous as a gift, and they go to heaven because of what Jesus did, not what they're doing. Andrew, I'm going to give you uh, questions 38 and 39 together. Will you earn rewards in heaven? Will you receive crowns in heaven? Yeah, so the Bible does talk about crowns, but when it does, those crowns always represent who Jesus is to us. Let me give you an example. The crown of righteousness. Well, Jesus is our righteousness. The crown of life. Well, Jesus is our life. Uh, The crown of glory. Well, Jesus deserves all the glory. So when we hear these phrases, crown of life, crown of righteousness, crown of glory, what we're really seeing there is that the elders in Revelation, they receive these crowns, and they decide to toss them at the feet of Jesus, and they say, he is worthy of all honor and all glory. So I believe these crowns represent Jesus Christ to us and everything he is. It's not about you and me collecting a bunch of headwear that we can stack on our head and then get a crick in our neck from all our righteousness. Uh, this is really about Jesus. Now, you know, rewards, the word reward is, is singular in the New Testament. It is not plural. It's not like somebody's going to collect eight and somebody else is going to get 32 and then somebody else is going to get 100. Uh, what we really see is the word reward singular And Paul even calls it the reward of the inheritance. Now, I want you to think about that. How do you get an inheritance? Do you get an inheritance by being a good boy or girl? No, you get an inheritance because someone dies and leaves it to you. And so the reward of the inheritance is a result of what Jesus did in dying for us. He leaves us the reward of the inheritance. Think about the parable of the vineyard workers. They were working, some of them all day, some of them show up only with an hour left in the day, and they start working. They only work 60 minutes or so. What happens? They all get paid the same. So apparently God is an equal opportunity employer, and the grace of God does not stop at the gates of heaven. We don't have to worry about crowns. That's who Jesus is to us. And we don't have to worry about collecting a bunch of loot in heaven. Instead, Jesus is our reward. And that reward begins right now. My guest is Andrew Farley. Uh, the book, 101 Bible Questions. we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, <clears throat> AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Andrew Farley is our guest. He's in Dallas, and he's written this marvelous book, 101 Bible Questions, and the surprising answers you may not hear in church. Uh, Here's another one for you, Andrew. Are Christians bound by the Ten Commandments? 
Yeah, isn't that an interesting one? Because, you know, we read all over the Bible that you're dead to the law. Christians are not under the law. Christ is the end of the law for all those who believe. But then it seems like in the Bible Belt, at least, we are fighting for the Ten Commandments to be part of our Christian life. Now, it's interesting, my friend, that you look at uh, the Ten Commandments, and one of them is the Sabbath. Now, you know, I don't know any Christian that is today waking up on Saturday and saying, I can't work today because of the Sabbath, or I can't send Friday night emails because of the Sabbath. I can't do Saturday yard work because of the Sabbath. So that's one of the ten. We need to factor that in. The truth of the matter is that God doesn't want us to chop up his law and say that Jesus fulfilled some of it, but not all of it. The reality is Jesus fulfilled the entire law, including the Ten Commandments. So that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he says that the Ten Commandments are a ministry of condemnation and death, and we don't want that in our lives. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we wouldn't have to. So if you put yourself under thou shall not steal and thou shall not um, commit adultery and all those things, well, you're going to end up actually inspiring sin, because under the law, sin gets a foothold. Under the law, sin actually increases. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 7. He says that apart from the law, sin is dead, but under the law, sin is alive. And he was talking about coveting there. I'll have you notice that coveting uh, is one of the Ten Commandments. So here's Paul living under the Ten Commandments, and he says the result is that he was coveting all the time, coveting of every kind, and he says the solution is, apart from the law, sin is dead. So if you've got a lying problem, a cheating problem, a stealing problem, let's trust Jesus living in us. Let's trust Jesus, not Moses, because flirting with Moses is cheating on Jesus. Andrew, uh, <clears throat> a couple of combined here. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And what does praying in the Spirit mean? Yeah, so if uh, we are walking by the Spirit, that means to walk in step with what Jesus is doing in us. So he gave his life for you on the cross, but then he gave his life to you by putting his spirit in you, and now you can walk by the spirit, meaning simply listen to his counsel, listen to his instruction. He's going to inspire you from the inside out, and that's what walking by the spirit is. Now, being filled with the Spirit, before I answer this one, I want to make it clear to every Christian listening that we already have the Holy Spirit, and we have Him in fullness. We don't need more of Him. We don't need to be shopping or begging or pleading or hoping or waiting for more of the Spirit. We have everything we need for life and godliness, but we are learning. We're learning and growing in the love of God, and in Ephesians that's what Paul says about being filled with the Spirit. He says, when you know, when you get to know how wide and how deep and how high and how long is the love of Jesus Christ, 
then you will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We've got the Spirit, but we can be motivated and animated and inspired by the Spirit as we trust in God's love. Now, lastly, you mentioned praying in the Spirit. Some people have said this is tongues. They've read the phrase praying in the Spirit and then assumed that it has something to do with foreign languages or heavenly languages or something like that. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. When praying in the Spirit comes up in the Bible, you don't see any mention of tongues. Praying in the Spirit is for every child of God, and in fact, Paul tells us, he says, always pray in the Spirit. So this is simply about knowing your location. You know, the realtors, the realtors tell us that location is really important. Location, location, location. It really matters. So as you pray today or any day, what if you were to picture yourself in God's Spirit? You're not making a long-distance phone call. It's local. Christ lives in you, and you live in Him. So praying in the Spirit is simply praying with the confidence that you are in Christ and that God always hears you because of your intimate union with Him. Andrew Farley is our guest. Andrew, here's question number 83. What is the gift of tongues? Yeah, so a lot of people have uh, tried to tell us that the gift of tongues is an angel language uh, or something from heaven, but the reality is that we look in Acts chapter 2, and we find out very quickly that when tongues was spoken, it says each person heard the gospel in their own language to which they were born. So that's what the true gift of tongues is. It is a missionary gift that is designed to help people hear the gospel in their own language to which they were born. So when we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14, for example, people say, well, no, no, Paul is talking about how tongues is a big mystery. Well, actually slow down, hit the pause button, and look at 1 Corinthians 14 carefully because you will find that Paul is saying, hey, if you bring your missionary gift off the street into a church service, imagine I do that. Like I'm fluent in Spanish. I can speak a little bit of Chinese, a little bit of Vietnamese. Imagine I go into a church here in Dallas and I start speaking Chinese. Well, they're not going to benefit at all. They're not going to be able to say amen. I'm going to sound like a crazy person. And so I am speaking mysteries. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is actually telling them, don't speak mysteries. If you speak in a mysterious way, then only God will understand you. And the rest of the people in the church service won't have a clue. So we have taken that passage and twisted it, some people saying, well, it's an angelic language or a heavenly language, when in fact it was simply human languages that the Corinthians were abusing. And as a result, when they spoke those languages in church, nobody could understand, nobody could say amen, because the true gift of tongues is about being out on the street and God uh, radically, miraculously enabling people 
to share the gospel in their own language to which they were born. That's what we see in Acts 2, and that's what the real gift of tongues is. Now, Andrew, uh, uh, question number 97. Is Catholicism the one true faith? Wow, yeah, you know, that's certainly the argument uh, that they make because of Peter and uh, him supposedly being the first pope and all of that. Well, you go back and you look at what Jesus is actually saying. He's saying, hey, your name is Peter, which means stone. And then he points to himself. I believe Jesus points to himself and says, and upon this rock, I will build my kingdom He never meant to convey that the kingdom is built on Peter. Uh, Peter and Paul constantly had to tell people, we're nothing. We are just men. Don't worship us. Don't fall at our feet. We worship Jesus Christ, and he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the church. So the premise is off when we start looking to Peter as the founder or the rock, because Jesus is our rock and he's the way, and he's the truth, and he's the life. And so in Catholicism, you have a reverence for Mary that in many cases has turned into a worship of Mary with statues of her and prayer to her. Uh, Many thousands of years tell us that the Catholics are clearly uh, praying to Mary when there's no reference to that in Scripture. We shouldn't be praying to Mary. We should be praying to God himself. And Jesus is our mediator, not the mother of Jesus. So there's more I could say about the Catholic Church, but when your premise is off, then your belief system is going to be off. And perhaps one of the greatest atrocities in the Catholic Church is that we have been seeing them teach a progressive forgiveness. They are teaching that you get your sins forgiven progressively as you participate in the Mass, which they believe is Jesus essentially dying over and over and over again as you take communion. Well, Jesus said it is finished, and he is not dying progressively. He died once for all, and Christians are not being forgiven progressively. We are totally forgiven people. Hebrews 10.14 says, By one offering he has made us perfect forever. By one sacrifice, We've been made forgiven forever. That's the truth that'll set us free. Andrew, we were about out of time. 30 seconds. What is the prosperity gospel? Yeah, so the prosperity gospel is sadly well known today for promising people health and wealth. Maybe you have a friend who's been victimized by this. You go into church and they tell you, you're guaranteed a healing, or you're guaranteed wealth if you just have enough faith. And so people are set up for unrealistic expectations. They end up disappointed with God. The reality is there's a reason we're going to get new heavenly bodies someday. There's a reason we need to go to heaven. This earth is not going to last, and our promises in Jesus Christ right now are spiritual. We are forgiven, righteous, holy, and blameless but we are not guaranteed physical healing or material wealth. That is a lie, and it sets us up for disappointment. Andrew Farley has been our guest. The book, 101 Bible Questions.
Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're tuned in to AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word.